Well, it certainly is hard to uh, follow last week. Last week's Easter service was wonderful. Yes, and on Resurrection Sunday, it just seems like our energy is, is a little elevated and our and enthusiasm is just a little higher, and rightfully so, because of the importance the resurrection plays in our lives and in our faith. And as excited as we get on Resurrection Sunday morning, can you imagine the excitement of the disciples that day when Christ arose and appeared to them in the upper room? How it strengthened them, how it comforted them, how it prepared them for what would come next in their lives to live out the commands of the Lord. And the same is true for us today. You know, what next? We celebrated the resurrection last week. So what instructions did Jesus give next or shortly thereafter to his disciples after his resurrection? Were they obedient? And if so, shouldn't we also be challenged to do the same thing and obey his final words? The passage we're going to look at today tells us what the Lord wants us to do. Everything that Jesus has said and taught leads up to this. Every miracle he's performed and personal encounter he's had with others leads up to this. His death, burial, and resurrection lead up to this. This is the grand finale. This is the high mountain peak. This is the closing climax of Jesus' time on earth, as told in the book of Matthew. Everything has been building to what the Lord says to his disciples before his ascension back to the right hand of God the Father. Here we read, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This great commission comes at the end of the Lord's earthly ministry. And these are his last words. And as his last words, they should be lasting words. This was the big picture for the rest of their lives. And so it is for each one of us here today. This is the big picture for every father or mother here today. This is the big picture for every college student, young adult, married or single. This is the big picture for every older adult. As long as you can get up and your, swing feet over the, your, your feet swing over the side of your bed and you get up and you stand up on this beautiful earth. This is the big picture. This is the purpose for which you and I are here on earth. It is to fulfill the Great Commission. And it really doesn't matter what other parts of our lives we have in the right order. If we're disconnected from the big picture, then we're kind of going astray. This is the cornerstone. cornerstone. This is the anchor point of our lives. And as a body of believers and individually, we must move together forever forward with this great commission. All of us have a part to play. Some are appointed to preach or proclaim the gospel in public settings. Others are teachers of the word and work with the body to help fulfill the Great Commission. But all of us have a part to play in this process of going into the world, beginning right here in Chatham with our neighbors in our city and sharing the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all around us. All of us can pray for others, encourage others to fulfill this command of our Lord. If this is to be the mission statement of our lives, then let's dissect this passage and see what Christ is requiring of us. Let's begin by examining verse 18, 
where Jesus states there is no greater authority than the authority that he possesses. Verse 18 reads, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has the greatest authority. These disciples were commissioned by the one who possesses all authority. There is no authority outside the authority of our Lord. The world is not in a tug of war between Jesus and Satan like they're two equal forces opposing each other. If there were a tug of war going on, it wouldn't even be a fair fight. What does the word authority mean? The authority means the right to speak and do as one pleases. This is a claim of absolute sovereignty by our Lord. In fact, it's a claim for deity. Only one who is God in human flesh could say, authority has been given to me. This is a claim of lordship. This is a claim of unrivaled supremacy. It's a claim for all authority. And he says, has been given to me. God the Father is the only one who could give such sovereignty to his son. This anticipates his return back to heaven, his ascension, his coronation at the right hand of God the Father, the place of highest honor. And Jesus here is speaking of it in the past tense. It's so certain that he speaks of it in the past tense before he even makes his ascent back to heaven. There is no place where Christ's authority does not reign. Authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 supports this. We read, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In fact, the entire New Testament just oozes and flows with these staggering statements of the sovereignty of Jesus. He is sovereign over Satan. He is sovereign over demons. He's sovereign over death. He's sovereign over disease. He's sovereign over every circumstance in our life. And he's sovereign over eternal destinies. Everything is under the feet of Jesus. So why does he make this claim? Why does he say, I have all authority? He wants to drive the point home that he has authority to command them and us what he's going to be, what follows in verse 19 and 20. Whatever he commands, we must obey. These are not his suggestions. These are not his opinions. These are not his preferences. These are our marching orders from heaven. He has the authority to say, go and make disciples. We have the choice to obey or not. He also has all authority to empower us and enable us to fulfill this great commission. This is such a daunting task. There will be times when we struggle with this command. I mean, we are weak, are we not? We all feel a sense of inadequacy. When this charge is laid at our feet, when faithfully carrying out this command, we must do so by the strength that the Lord gives us. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is this extreme authority of Jesus that empowers us 
to fulfill the Great Commission. He is greater than any difficulty we could encounter, and he will open the door to us even when we think it's impossible. He has the authority to open the spiritually blind eyes. He has the authority to open deaf ears, to raise those who are spiritually dead to repentance. He has the authority to answer prayer. We're not doing this alone. He has all authority over everything to help us with this mission. And before we move on, do you recognize that every one of us must yield our lives to this supreme authority and our lives must reflect that? We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. We simply yield and submit and humble ourselves under his supreme authority and do what he tells us to do. He has the absolute right to command our life. He is our master. We are his servant. Our life is not our own. We were bought with a price. We yield before his authority. And he goes before us in ways that are higher than our own to help us out with this commission. So as we move on to verses 19 and 20, notice the assignment given. What Jesus now says is the, the greatest job description the greatest task, the greatest assignment ever to be laid at your feet and the feet of this church. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Let's draw our attention to the four verbs used here, which is go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Now, the Greek structure of the sentence makes it clear that the main verb here is make disciples. The others are participles, which support the main verb. Those are go, baptizing, and teaching. But the one that stands out is make disciples, but they're all linked like a chain. Go implies that we're moving out, that we're going into the world, that we're not waiting for the world to come to us. We're on the offensive, not the defensive. We're to take it to the streets. This word go means we're to be active, not passive. We're on the move. It's, it's a form of the word that's best translated as you go or having gone. So the main idea here is that every disciple is on the move going into the world daily. So this implies a lifestyle form of evangelism that wherever you go, you're on mission for God. When you go to the office, when you go to school, when you are with your neighbors, when you're with your in-laws, wherever you go, you're to go and make disciples for the Lord. The word and connects these two. Go and make disciples. So as we go, we're witnessing in a variety of forms. We're, we're planting seeds that the only one who has salvation to offer can water. We're making Disciples. The, the word disciple was, was a popular way to address the early believers. Christian wasn't coined until Acts 11, where we read the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It was originally a term of, of mockery, but the early Christians embraced it. They didn't mind it one bit to be identified with Christ in this way. But before this, believers were called disciples. Disciples. 
So being a disciple then doesn't mean that you've attended a second level Bible study on Saturday morning or that you've earned some sort of special degree. Okay, being a disciple means that you're a learner. We're all disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're a learner. You've submitted your life to the truth of the Lord, and his worldview is now your worldview. His truth is now the truth you believe. His promises are the ones that you now embrace. His commands are the ones that you obey. A disciple is one who's come under the authority of the Lord and the authority of his teaching. And you could also add the word follower. He is a learner and a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, if any man should come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. A disciple is one following after Jesus. So please note that Jesus does not say here, go and have people make decisions. He says, go and make disciples. This implies this ongoing process of discipleship to the one who's committed their lives to the Lord. A disciple will, for the rest of their life, be learning from the Lord. And the more they learn, the stronger they become. And the day we stop learning from his word is the day we stop growing and stop bearing fruit. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, for many of us in this room, I'm sure, we could say the greatest joy in all the world is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second greatest joy is to be used by God. So someone else can come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. What a thrill it is in our heart and in our soul when an unbeliever accepts the grace that Jesus offers. And we're privileged to have just a small part in their conversion. We recognize that it was our seed that was scattered, which God watered. Or it was our prayer that was offered up on the behalf of others that God answered and bring brings forth eternal life. Go to all the nations. He now says to go to every continent, every country, and every culture, beginning with where you live, then everywhere. So this clearly implies to me that there is no other way to salvation. That those in other nations, while they might be religious, or they might be sincere, they're sincerely wrong, And they're religiously lost, apart from the one saving message of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Peter said before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4.12, he said, there is salvation in no one else. I looked this up in the Greek and here's what it says. There is salvation in no one else. (laughs) For there is no name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Paul said, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. We have the only hope for sinners. We have the only message of saving grace. We must take this message beginning here in Chatham and then strategically to the world where God leads us. 
Every year, as you're well aware, the elders meet to discuss missions and where the money that we collect, gives, where we can give it back to the Lord for the use, to put to use for his kingdom. Currently, it's close to 25% of the income of the church, with our, your, which are your tithes. 25% of that income is put back into the mission field as we obey this command from the Lord. If you haven't noticed yet, Tina and Marilyn updated our mission wall right outside the auditorium. We support missionaries in Jamaica, Thailand, Cambodia, Haiti, and Mexico through Andrew and his work with Casas Por Cristo, along with a lot of other variety of ministries here in the States. But it begins with us every day here in our surrounding community of where we live. The command is to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. So baptizing is our third verb. And the order here is very important. First you make disciples, then you baptize them. Not the other way around, as would be the case if one was sprinkled first and then grows to be a disciple of the Lord. That kind of turns the Great Commission upside down. All who are disciples are to be baptized. That means immersed in water, to be known publicly with our Lord through baptism. They're not to be invited, identified publicly by raising their hand in a service, coming forward at a conference, or signing a card. Those can be part of a process, but the way Jesus prescribes here, that one, is made known, one makes known their faith, is that they are baptized. By the way, have you been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ? And if not, why not? It's abundantly clear under the authority of the Lord that all believers and disciples must be baptized. And in doing so, you are showing your obedience to the one you call Lord, to Jesus. The one who is sovereign over everything. And as we baptize, we notice, he says, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Name is singular, yet there are three names given. It does not say baptize them in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but the name. And then three names are given. Here is the Trinity. There is one God who exists in three persons that are co-equal. And Jesus states that baptisms are to be done in the name of all three persons of the Godhead. It is in recognition that all three persons of the Godhead have been eternally involved, victoriously involved, and at work in the plan of salvation. But it's not over after baptism. So we read in verse 20, the fourth verb. Supporting the main verb to make disciples. We go on teaching the word of God to those who have been saved by Christ. Teach them. The ones saved. The ones being baptized. Teach them biblical truth. Sound doctrine. The apostles teaching. A Christian worldview. And we teach them to observe. So this is more than information. This is application. They are to observe with eyes wide open all that the Lord has commanded. The truths of Scripture we read are meant to guide us. 
They're meant to direct our lives that we would act upon what we read. In other words, it's not enough just to know theology or to know all the glorious truths that are precious to us. These truths must be the fuel that empower us to live daily for the Lord and to fulfill this great commission. It must go from our head to our heart and then flow from there. What an assignment. What an assignment, the Great Commission. So I have to ask myself this morning, and you have to ask yourself this morning, where do you see yourself in fulfilling this great assignment? Are you going? And as you go, are you aware the Lord wants to use you wherever you go in the Chatham area? And as you go, are you telling others about Christ? Are you speaking of the gospel? Are you building bridges with them in a relationship manner? Are you sowing seeds? Are you telling others of the saving grace of Jesus Christ? I mean, this, this is an overwhelming task. It really is. For, for a football player, for example, it's a whole lot easier when a tough play is called to stay in the huddle. It's safe inside the huddle, as opposed to getting up to the line of scrimmage and running that tough play. And it's a whole lot easier for us this morning to gather in this huddle, get a play or get, gather this command from the Lord, but then not to do anything. That's a whole lot safer and easier. Doing what God has called us to do is not easy. So we all need to hear what Jesus tells us next to give us the strength and the confidence to faithfully perform this great assignment. Notice how he concludes. Each word is so powerful. He says, and lo, take notice of this. Okay, lo, this is important. Zero in on this. Pay close attention. This is very important. I, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, the one who's taught us, the one who commands us, Am, present tense, not once was or future will be, but every moment of every day in the present, I am with you. Only God can say that. Only one who is omnipresent could say this. That I am with you wherever you go in every opportunity you have to make a disciple. That I'm with you to give you insight on what to say and how to say it. I'm with you to help you remember verses to share and their application. I'm with you when they throw out a question and you have to defend your faith. I'm with you when you're timid. I'm with you to give you courage and boldness. The Holy Spirit indwells believers to help us with this great assignment. And isn't that enough? Jesus is more than enough to energize us and empower us with this great commission. And how long will he be with us? The next seven words. Even until the end of the age. There will never be a situation in which Christ is not with you. To come alongside of you. To support you. To stabilize you. And he will never make his presence more known in your life when you're making disciples. You know, in conclusion, I was thinking of a couple things this week. And this great commission, 
This is one thing that we can do now that we will never be able to do in heaven. And that's live out the Great Commission. You and I will never be able to lead somebody to Christ in heaven. There will be no need to plant seeds in the lives of unbelievers since we will be in fellowship only with believers. There won't be a need to make disciples, nor will we, will we be able to baptize someone in heaven. That must take place in this world during our time here that the Lord has given us. That is our great commission. And that should guide our lives. That is our purpose. We have a wonderful fellowship, as you guys know and are well aware, within our congregation. We're, we're family and we love each other. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But if that was our sole purpose of our Christian walk, then God should immediately take us to heaven where the fellowship among believers is pure and holy. If our sole purpose is to praise him through song, then once washed by the blood of the Lamb, why didn't God usher us immediately into heaven to praise him with the angels in the most purest and holiest of ways? If our purpose was to get to know God better, then why didn't he immediately take us to heaven once we were saved where we can know him fully? We're citizens of heaven already, are we not? Fellowship, praising him through song, growing in our knowledge and relationship with God are surely important while we're still on earth for he alone is worthy. But that's not why I feel while we're here, why we are here. And that's not our main purpose or assignment. Our assignment is to do, again, the one thing we can do on this earth while we're still living that we can't do in heaven. And that is to share the gospel of Jesus with others. To introduce them to a God who proved his love for them on the cross. To go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. I pray that we will all consider our role in the Great Commission this morning. Amen. Let's stand and sing.